We hang our heads low as the last rites are read aloud for all to hear, and tears stream down the faces of all who gather to mourn the passing of an adventurer and hero to the realm. Or maybe next time, don't cast that fireball in a room that's no bigger than 20 feet. I'm Mo. And I'm Austin. And today, we talk player consequences and death in today's episode of Dungeons and Brews. And welcome to Dungeons and Brews, everybody. Again, as always, Mo is with me today. And I know, even though it's a very somber topic, player death, player consequences, we are player still- consequences that lead to player deaths. Let it be known. We're not saying that the two are completely interconnected, but, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know, they are. Um, but we do want to once again thank everybody for all of the requests, comments, everything on the episode suggestions. Again, it helps us because there are so many ideas that Mo and I have, it really does help us make sure it's content that you guys want to hear when you're telling us, I'd like to hear an episode on blah, blah, blah. It really does help us. And we want to thank everybody again. Um, please make sure to- Guys, you don't seem to understand. We will literally talk about the buoyancy of water yep. because it's, we find it entertaining. entertaining. So. <laughs> and I just want to, again, encourage everybody, continue to share the podcast. Uh, you know, We've already had a, a, an overwhelming amount of views, more than we ever would have expected. I know Mo and I were kind of just like, oh, we're going to do it for fun. But we really do appreciate you guys sharing it, telling other people about it. Um, I even had someone, uh, one of my players, Mo, I don't know if I told you this, uh, bring it up while they were getting coffee from a local coffee shop. They knew the person was into D&D, and that person now listens to our podcast. Oh, well, well so hello to all the, our, you know what, speaking of which, we haven't had a chance yet. yet. Like, we're, well, I believe this is episode eight here, yeah. Brewmaster Austin, including our special episodes there. A uh, little bit more than that, but hello to all our new viewers. Like, I, some of us, uh, we were having lots of friends and family listening to us at first and they helped spread the word and the algorithm of Instagram and soon to be our TikTok channel is helping uh, expand us a little bit more. I cannot thank you guys enough for listening. Welcome to Dungeons and Brews, guys. Uh, and speaking of brews. The speaking Mo, of the brews. A, this is a brew that Mo actually selected. So I'm going to let Mo take it away on this one. Yes, absolutely. This one's called a Dragon Share Cherry. And it's also by New Holland. It's the same people that do... Uh, Dragon's Milk. Which is fantastic. Yeah, and this one is a technically a bourbon barrel seltzer, everyone. A little bit lower on the alcohol content, 4.6%. So it's not as potent, but again, you hear bourbon. So I'm very curious to see. Shall we do the uh, regular? Avan, Atul. Two. One. Oh, the smell is hitting me even before oh, I finished wow, it. Wow, the smell, it it is like got a beautiful cherry smell. All right, Almost. let's. Wow. Holy crap, y'all. So the mouthfeel kind of almost feels like you're drinking like one of the more popular seltzers, you know, like a White Claw or something. It's very yeah. light. But then you get a hint of cherry on the finish and that bourbon smokiness Boom. on the front. That is in the sweet. It really is a really well-crafted seltzer. Really well good. Done. New Holland. Guys, let's be honest with you here. We don't necessarily always finish all the beers that we drink on here. Because yeah. uh, to let you know on an insider traded secret, we do our filming in bulk. So <laughs> if we were to finish every single drink here that we drank. The fifth episode would sound like. <laughs> I'm just saying, Brewmaster Austin. 
I like. We should only use D eights. I only want to use D tens, D twelve, D twelve, D sixes are mine. D- yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> but as we're kind of you know enjoying the preliminary stages of this, and before we get into the very serious topic on hand, are you a theater of the mind person? And if if so, why? I want you to close your eyes real quick, Brewmaster Austin. Take in your surroundings. Do you hear that sound in the background? The 3D printer? Yes, my 3D printer is currently printing me terrain pieces, everyone. Yes, I'm a big, big proponent of our uh, terrain pieces. I love crafting terrain. I'm not necessarily the biggest into painting. I'm learning a little bit more as NFL highlighting. Huge shout out to my uh, good friend Chris there. Has taught me a lot, a lot about painting. And I feel like I keep getting better. But I've always been a big fan of crafting terrain, setting up terrain. Printable scenery is one of my favorite favorite places to go visit again not sponsored yet (laughs) but we will get sponsored pepsi i'm still looking at you i've said it three episodes in a row now and i don't care (laughs) but i just think it would be it's so much fun to craft larger areas and to have like pieces like you know a wall that's broken apart and yet again you can get it with wizards of the coast uh wizards of the coast they do i believe their uh warlock system Mm -hmm. that they have printed out i'm basically a 36 year old here with a bunch of toys in one of my rooms so it's it's so much fun i love that crafting it immerses your players into that world oh my god i can't get enough of it have you uh, what about yourself do you tend to use have you done both um so theater of the mind or terrain yeah never actually crafted terrain i do i did especially when i first started did a lot of um drawing of maps uh, I used to draw, hand draw a lot of maps. I just drew a water deep map, like a whole recreated version because I altered some of the physics and some of the uh, areas of water deep for my players. So I do like to hand draw a lot of things. I've never crafted terrain. It has been something I've wanted to get in, especially with like the styrofoam cutting. I've wanted to get into that. I see that, that is... a lot of hammer and stuff and I wanted to get into that. The limiting factor for me is that as Mo knows, my budgeting of time, yeah. I have to decide what is the most effective use because of my job as an attorney? Like I don't necessarily have every night to to do things and I would love to be able to craft terrain. I can't. So I have to decide, okay, if I can't do that, I'm at least going to do a general map and maybe like, so I have had um, some AI generated art for specific things um, that my players use, or I, you know, I look for like creators that might make me something. So I did have a creator um, make a uh, character drawing for an NPC's mother-in-law who, you know, is going to be a central focus of this character arc for a lot of reasons. I'm not going to spoil it because there are other players listening. So I tend to have some theater of the mind because obviously there's only, I'm not an expert artist. I, I am okay enough to like do some stuff on the pen and paper to like make it look at least decent. So there is some like you have to imagine the terrain differences and things like that. So it's a kind of a mix of both. But I try to stick away from purely theater of the mind because I know a lot of my players and a lot of people in general struggle to focus for three or four hours theater of the mind. And I think having a battle map or having a map or having some sort of like diagram or like you said, created terrain helps 
everyone focus in. Yeah, well, uh, with miniatures uh, that you may paint or NPCs that you may cre create, like uh, especially like monster creation to me, uh, there's some other ones. I believe it's called Titan Forge out there. There's obviously Hero Forge. That's where you can go craft uh, some of more of your, you know, your PCs, your stuff like that. But uh, Titan Forge also helps you create more monster base. And so I've looked up several YouTube accounts there before. And again, my good friend Chris has showed me a little bit about some of these uh, websites that uh, they call almost like a slap chop method where you like get a bunch of pieces from like a, the Dollar Tree and then find them and kind of connect them. This actually connects me to something here. And we've primarily on this podcast talked about, you know, obviously we're Dungeons and Brews. We, we talk about D&D. &D. We love our D&D. &D. There's a million topics to discuss about it. Have we ever, have you ever dipped your toes into other uh, tabletops? And because of that, the reason why I bring that up is do you feel like that will affect your setting, uh, your whether you want terrain or not? Mm -hmm. For instance, I bring up Call of Cthulhu. I, I bring up, uh, hang on, what else do we got here? Hang on, uh, let me take the things up here. Uh, Vampire the Masquerade, a good friend of mine, uh, is actually a very big uh, runner like of that. Pathfinder. Yeah, or uh, the big one that right now, especially that's gaining a little bit of traction because of Critical Role, right. is uh, the currently Candle Obscura yeah. that's doing really well. They use a non-D20 system. Those of you that don't know, again, if you don't, uh, D20 systems are the prime path that is used so, within D&D. Yeah. But... D6s are used, the D6 and the explosion of D6s. Right, so uh, I've never yeah. used a non-D20 system. Uh, I have obviously through Dropout um, watched the Dimension 20 when they did the Misfits and Magic, uh, which was a non-D20 based system. Oh, I, I think, haven't gotten, I haven't I got think, caught up yet to it. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. that's a non-D20 based system. They use it off of, uh, I, I can't remember what the system is called. It's like um, Magic Junior or something like that. It's like basically a Harry Potter adjacent. Is it a D6 rolls? It, so you get, from my understanding of it, you get, um, you still assign proficiency and skills. And so like you might have like, I think it's called like a grit roll. You might make your grit the highest stat, which yeah. would be a D8 yeah. or a D6 for your next one, a D4, you know, stuff like that. You assign dice as your stat to give you more. And there is the explosion mechanic on like a magic dice that is determined by how proficient you are with your wand. So it could be a D4, it could be a D6, it could be what you know, whatever it is. Uh, those that don't know, don't know what D6 explosions are is basically when you roll a six, you can actually roll another extra D6 on top. So Most mechanics- They do a lot of things like that. Do, and they, they do a diversity token where if you fail a roll, you basically get a free plus one that you can add to any role in the future and you can cash multiple in at a time. So if you're really having a bad night, like you're, you've missed your first five roles, you now have five points that that next role, you're like, I'm not failing this. Yeah. Here's all five points. I succeed. You can do that. The one ring uses that setting as well. The, uh, the one ring, uh, big Lord of the Rings, uh, specifically a based universe. Uh, a good friend of mine was getting a uh, right. little dipping his toes into that. They are highly recommend guys to go check out other systems i love now, we love our dnd i do want yeah. to say that with i while i haven't used the mechanics of the other system other systems do have i sometimes find because of their simplicity more fleshed out mental mechanics so i know call of cthulhu was one of you mentioned yep they their madness system in call of cthulhu it is, is amazing sublime. it is amazing very well thought out 
There are ways for you to reduce it that make sense. There are ways that increase it that, again, make sense. And there are very real detrimental effects that you can see your adventure having it. So there are form, different forms of PTSD, different forms of hallucinations and things like that. And I do think that D&D sometimes trying to do that overcomplicates it a little bit too much and makes it almost optional. And while I don't think you're going to have too much PTSD when you're like slaughtering, you know, goblins or something, right? Yeah. Some of the things that you go on through to like some of the far realms, which we're not, we haven't talked about, but oh my goodness, greater, guys, you know, if you want to talk about creepy, drive you insane. Let's not just forget about that. And you know, something we did not bring up on our uh, special episode uh, in regards towards being on the plains of, uh, of the nine house or of the abyss the environmental effects well we did kind of bring it up with, a little bit with um baltasio and how he was corrupted from a demon being on that round right pit feed. so yeah but I, these also correspond down to the players players if you spend a certain amount of time on some of these realms like for again the nine hells right. or the abyss or most in particular because i know i've read it several times in my mind the far plane yep. right you have to roll on the madness chart. When right. you wake up in the morning, you're rolling. And that's a permanent thing for some, at least being on that plane. Right. Again, it can change. And most of the time, the only time to get rid of a madness uh, chart. Again, we'll break it down for you sometime in a future episode. But you have to get like a remove curse. Or you have to get some type of like complete, you know, a wish spell that can uh, get rid of it. Wish fixes everything is what sometimes, i realized sometimes yeah for the most part yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not if you're not if you're in my games uh, but <laughs> anyway that does kind of move us though into our main topic which is related to player consequences and player death and basically any last words for those player characters player consequences have and it will sometimes lead to player death and that is oh Okay, I want to start off by reassuring the DMs that if you kill a player character, it is not a bad thing. There's always some way that either the party could have worked better to avoid it, a check was failed that caused it. As long as you are really, I, mean, I, know we talked, I know we talked about honest. fudging dice. As long as you're not fudging the dice to make the player character die, you really do not bear the blame of having that happen. So I want to just reassure you because I, as a, a case in point example, right after I ran my first campaign, I'm feeling good, right? I'm like, okay, I've kind of figured it out. I got some of the kinks out. I'm going to run Curse of Stride. And it's not a spoiler for Curse of Stride. They have a, the start of the thing is called like the death house. And you start your characters there. By the end of it, they're like level three. They're ready to start the real campaign, right? There are some encounters in there that are very hard, not necessarily deadly, but very hard. My players triggered like three of the encounters at one time. TPK'd them straight up, just TPK'd the whole party. And you're like, ooh, and I felt a little bad afterwards. I'm like, man, maybe I'm not as good at this as I thought I was, right? And then you kind of take a step back and you're like, well, no, they failed this check, ignored this sign, failed this check, didn't search for this, split the party up into three different things. Like, you know, there are things that you're like, okay, the consequences of all of these things came to bear. And that's something we have to remember as, as, as DMs guys, we cannot be afraid to, you know, put ourselves out there and, you know, it is not DM versus player DMs. We sometimes think it is players. Sometimes you think it is, it goes both ways. We are wanting to establish a great cooperative storytelling between you 
and you're playing. In order for there to be a great story, there consequences are must exist. I and know. Opposition yep. must and opposition. Exist. And that's why so. you, the consequences are so important. So, Mo, I want to ask you specifically, hmm. what is like the first experience come to mind for you as a DM having to dish out a consequence for a PC decision? I always like to call it turning left instead of right. I'm not saying that your action by turning, you're a player. You you should be dictated into your own world and uh, into the setting that you know I I may have crafted, but you may have gone left instead of right. Remember, just because you went left doesn't mean this isn't like an RP, this isn't a role playing game a game in the setting of like you know going upstairs and turning on a video game where everything is waiting for you to go grab afterwards. Okay, right? There's stuff going on there. And I've I've literally just got done talking about this recently. You never want to make a players seem like their their actions don't have good things, right? But at the same time, you just destabilized maybe a government. At the same time, there you went to go take care of a player situation when there was something else going on here, or you went to go take care of that something else there while there was a player consequence there or a player backstory thing that was being flushed out. My players are currently going through it. Mm -hmm. They can assume there's stuff going on other there. Things don't get put on pause. And sometimes as DMs, we have to remember that as well. We're not pushing the pause button. Everything else that is occurring there, if the players are gone for whatever two weeks may equal in your time world, right? Things have got to be currently going on there. Like there is so definitely... that would be to me a consequence. But it's a it's an unavoidable right. consequence, right? There it's is something only so that's going much to happen. Time the PCs can do. Correct. And so that unless you want to split the party. Right. So I don't recommend splitting the party, guys, ever. <laughs> that's something that I do want to both like give a, a word of like support and a word of warning to. As a DM, I always I do like to have side quests available to my players, but you should never overload them too much to where you make time limitation a factor. Unless that, like, obviously if it's the main quest and you're like, the dragon is flying towards the city, ready to burn it down, that's an okay time to have a time constraint, right? But I don't ever want to give the players, like, here's 17 different side quests. Oh, you failed 16 of them because you chose to do one. Like, that's, that's fun, though. but you know what I mean? Like, that's not, that's not necessarily fair to your players to do. But by the same token, you do have to make sure that your, wor your world is dynamic. So one way that like I have it, my players have not figured out why one of the player, the campaign that I've talked about this boss battle a couple times on, there was some preliminary stuff that led them to start investigating that they kind of stopped investigating along the way. They still ended up solving the issue, one of the issues with it, but they never figured out where all this other stuff went, what happened, what was the purpose. Wasn't the, uh, campaign one of Critical Role sim uh, similar, similar to that? Thing, yeah, similar. They, uh, they unlocked the Eye of Vecna not knowing that it was... Well, and like also if you remember from like campaign that, yeah. one, again, spoilers for campaign one of Critical Role. Sorry guys, yeah, my but, bad. <laughs> but if you remember from campaign one, they, they had fought one of the dragons early on and that consequence didn't come to bear until much later much yeah and much when it later. did and it came did, to it bear came to bear to, to bear so i'll never forget that episode they talked to mercer afterwards yeah. i'll never forget it i just remember watching it at the time and he just goes that was weird for me he's like why he was like i crafted a city and oops i had to burn it i had to burn it yeah. like it's just it is it is tough there as a dm's not 
you want to consider you want to make sure that your players are getting rewarded mm -hmm. right but at the same time you have to show them hey guys turning left instead of right or going up instead of down it can make a world of difference here now this in particular leads us to something you know a little bit more sensitive player death and again they're connected and again this episode was requested by actually someone so again shout out uh, uh there on our discord channel but have you ever dealt with uh player death you yep. yourself yeah yep. obviously you just told us, had, yeah. so yeah. i have both had TBK, a, yeah. i both had a character die playing mm. and i have i have killed now i mean i'm up to probably like 10 or 12. so uh, i've never killed one yet yeah. i i've been close in a natural 20 that hit directly off dissonant whispers right yeah so yeah, yeah a lot of natural that's yeah, yeah, yeah. 3d8 at a low level yeah Ugh. yeah that can yeah i literally was about three points off from uh auto shotting them no i've definitely had it with both crits traps other things like that um you know that have, have come to bear and as i've had more experience with it i think it's become less of a worry for me because I think if a player is truly invested in the world that you're building, and again, this goes on you partially as a DM and then partially as the player, like you do have to have, no matter how great the world is, like as great as Matt Mercer is, I know we talk about him a lot, or Brennan Lee Mulligan or Satine oh. Phoenix or, you know. Ray Iyengar, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Abrea, yeah. Any, any of those people are, it requires a great player to make it an elite campaign. That is Hallowed be their not be their names, by the right. way. Hallowed be, Hallow be the holy trinity, yes, or holy quadrinity. <laughs> quadrinity, yeah, quadrinity. <laughs> Let's go with that. Yeah, quadrinity. <laughs> um, but I think that you should never be there should never be a, a, a fear of killing the players, especially when the if especially in an encounter where the encounter is designed to be brutal. So a a great, a great, 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 great example is I've mentioned um the camp, the first campaign I ever ran, there was a fight where the players had some minions to go through and a Baylor to fight. Oh, Jesus! Right, and they they did they did to to their credit they were new players. It's a big monster to throw at them. They were playing the fight very well. They Just so you guys really, know, Baylor is a creature out of the nine hells. It is so. a it is a Balrog from Lord of the Rings. It is literally yep. it looks the exact yep. same. Yep. It has like in case it, you haven't heard about our discussion in our special episodes, go back listen to them. Yeah, we kind of break down a little bit it about is Baylor. massive. There's yeah. a ton of damage, Oof. but it has a mechanic that you shall it, not pass when it dies it explodes with a big like almost a two fireballs worth of damage it's a lot of damage it's like 20 d6 or something like that it's a lot and i had given the player a little bit of a hint like hey it looks like almost like the fire itself is being like withdrawn in ready to explode like kind of described it like that right giving them hey hey hint hint wink wink maybe back up from right most of the players took the hint backed up my sister Shout out. I know you're listening. Uh, took her rogue. Acrobatics check to jump over the sword, run up, and stab it. Crits, killing it, right? You're like, yes. Great. Oh, but it's going to explode on her. Oh, my God. And because they were like, I think they were like a ninth or tenth level party. It was, and that campaign was eight people. So that's why they could face a Baylor at that level. Oh, they yeah. People. Um, they were like a ninth or tenth level party. It one shot. She was already low, for yeah. sure. But it, it did her full health bar in damage. She was negative even more than her health. It's an instant death. And at that moment, I had a decision, right? I can let that be the end of this character that she's played for, at that point, seven or eight months, right? No other words. I instead 
gave her a little bit of a, you know, Infinity War sort of style, I don't feel so good, Mr. Stark moment, where the PC that she had bonded so closely with, one of my other players, Rosie, shout out, I know you're listening, they were had become very close, they become, like, very bonded. She, like, runs up, and, like, her, my sister's character is, like, shivering and, like, scarred and burned, and she's like, looks up and, like, I don't feel so good, Eldra, and then into Ash. And that's where, and the only thing left was a necklace that my, her oh character my had God. to, like, to, had made of their times together it was like showing them their adventures of these two pcs together because it was like a little bit like a romantic. was everybody at the table crying there was a romantic issue yeah rosie had told me she was tearing up like sid, sid had told me she was tearing up <laughs> your sister like, yeah oh yeah, my like, god tearing up like everyone oh was like god. and that was the end of the session oh like, that my god was it, right but i'm getting teared up listening to this story jesus <laughs> but the thing was is that if i had not given her that moment while it was more while it definitely was emotional while it was definitely you know there were tears right if i had not given her that moment i feel like she rosie and the rest of the party would have felt like that was a che like a cheating of a glow of a moment right that's a good point right there giving that player a moment uh in several things of uh that i've watched whether it's on critical role or other uh, type of player a uh, player depth and things like that you ask the player any last words any type of like, I, I know how I would want to do a player death, at least flushed out for me. For me, again, I had, I, uh, I've lost one PC and it kind of sucked. I was kind of attached to the PC and I was just like, okay, this, this kind of sucks, but it is what it is. And I kind of moved on, but that is one thing as a DM and all DMs, any aspiring DMs, if you have to address a, a player death, don't be afraid to address it and give that player their last limelight maybe a blinking last word or, you know, a last thought that they may be going through their brain. Let, let everyone at the table feel that loss because that loss should matter. When you start minimalizing what player deaths are, which again, will kind of connect this to what the next topic I kind of want to bring up here, which is revivals, mm -hmm. but it'll take away from the table. But speaking of which revivals, mm -hmm. right now, they're the biggest the biggest thing I want to mention towards a revival of a character, towards bringing a character back to life. Yes, you have the Revivify spell that must be casted within a minute, right? You also have uh, within uh, the idea that if a character is being resurrected at the time, the soul has to be willing, mm -hmm. right? You could set up the ritual. You could set up uh, everything that you need to do for the re resurrection spell or true resurrection or whatever it may be at the time. But the, the player's soul has to be willing. Specifically, it's asking if the player does want to come back. So... In that case, Austin, have you ever dealt with a revivify? Or I know you've uh, you've talked about before a revivify spell, but have you ever dealt with more of a uh, resurrection? So I I I know definitely where we're going to go with this topic because I borrow a lot from Matt Mercer's resurrection resur uh, wow resurrection ritual. I really love what he did with it, and I. I, Mo, I'm gonna have you uh, read that off because I think that it, it's so good. I want the I want everyone to hear, and then I'll explain why I prefer it over general. All right, so let's talk a little bit about it here. So this is the house rule that is used within Critical Role. I'm reading this directly out of the Taldori Reborn setting book, which is now currently available on D and D Beyond. They've actually partnered up again. D and D Beyond still not sponsored. What are you guys doing? We're right here. Great avenue and resource. Anyways, so the way it works is basically a ritual that is set up between you 
and the uh, the players at the time. So the ritual will either increase or lower a certain DC. Specifically, the DC starts at 10. Mind you, that 10 can be higher if the player has died before, usually by plus one. So the way it's going to work here, each of the participating participating characters makes an ability check a player can tell the gm what kind of check they want to make but ultimately the gm decides what kind of check this is based on the appropriate character's contribution to the ritual the baseline dc of this check is 15 excuse me oh for the ritual being yeah. participated right. yes so uh and again that varies but again for example uh praying to a fallen paladin's god for mercy might require a participant to make a dc check of 10 intelligence religion check there whereas a shouting lazily around might require a dc 20 charisma again it can vary based on the check but again the resurrection check is as follows here the dc is increased by one for every time the character is returned to life before as the soul's connection to this world is slowly ended by rip repeatedly dying and returning again the dc is reduced by three for each successful contribution from other participants in this ritual the dc is increased by one for each failed contribution in this ritual the player then makes a uh the the dm will then make a roll they have to hit the check that is based off of it sometimes you've seen the roll can be as low as dc8 i remember hearing it one time for one character i remember in one character death and critical role it was i believe a dc4 or 5 it was very very low but again that can vary uh it's something also called that they he tacks on two miracles if a character is brought back from the dead by the true resurrection spell or the wish spell or by a god they instantly return to life without the need for a resurrection spell and of course the revivify spell also exists within that world but again that is a prime opportunity in which the if a, a resurrection ritual were to be occurring the dc will increase right i've already established to my players on session zero in my world that's what i'm going to use mm -hmm. every time you die right revivify one time not an issue yeah. revivify the second or third time we're going to start having a conversation i here. start doing the ritual from the first get-go mm -hmm. um and the only reason i do that is that like i said i keep training wheels on for the first little bit um and then you know uh, so there's really not too much of a threat of player death you know there is some some people still have gone down maybe make some rolls but i just think that it makes death and D, &D matter when you have to, and I, I found that the death and then resurrection through that ritual, because you usually succeed the first time, like it's very rare not to bonds the party together. It because really does. You really find ways of like, how am I connected to this person? How how would my character have it? And I think it really does actually bring everybody together. Would you say that there is a fault towards bringing a character back to life? I wouldn't say necessarily but it depends on what the group dynamic is obviously i think i do have a character that uh that plays in one of my campaigns that is a paladin of the raven queen and i might have them make a check separately from the resurrection to see if their deity even approves of this intervention of fate you know if you do have a god Ooh, then where a, a god could say no where a god's like don't you help this like if it succeeds on its own, oh fine. My God. But this fate needs to be fate. So there could be times where a deity might maybe not tell you to stop it, but you're not allowed to participate. There's so many guys. I'm not just talking critical role here. If you want to go into other things, go to YouTube sometime. Type in 
character death brought back, revival, resurrections, right? I know there was one, within, for instance, within Nadpod, in which they bring back, I believe, Jake's character uh, in some type of other format, reincarnation spell there. But they are some of the most bonding experiences you will ever have mm -hmm. at a table. So we're going to leave you with this, is that consequences should always be equal to what caused them, right? So if you're going around slaughtering a bunch of civilians, obviously there should be an equal consequence, right? But if you're like, uh, I just didn't check for traps and you're like in the trap, you know, the trap obviously shouldn't one shot them, but it should do some damage, right? So there should be obviously yeah, well, equal consequences. That's fine, guys. But Fuck them. <laughs> don't be afraid of player death. It's a bonding moment. And with that, I think it is a good point to end that conversation and switch over to a little bit of a happier topic. Whatever could you be talking about there, Brewmaster Austin? Good old world creation mode. World creation, everyone's favorite game show where you turn your brain into mind flayer mush and let your two charismatic, charming voices with the choices DMs design a world with a little input from you. And if you remember last time, we talked a little bit. Um, we talked a little bit about the uh, overall factions, the government type of um, the the world itself. Uh, we got through our regency um, individual um, rolled out their stats. And so, what I want to do today is go back to Caramel. Caramel. And we Let's... had talked about deities. We like did. We had talked about maybe making it a Dwarven Pantheon. Absolutely. So with the Dwarven Pantheon, it, it it's one of those ones that is kind of very firmly rooted into the D&D lore. Um, you'll see it addressed in a whole plethora of areas. It is called, and I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, the Morden's Amman. Morden's Amman. There is M-O-R-N-D-I-N-S-A-M-M-A-N. Yes, exactly. Okay. But I don't know what you said, but sure. It <laughs> is the overall uh, pantheon of the dwarves. It is ruled by Moradin, so you can kind of see how the namesake is is in there. Uh, and Moradin is the chief god, um, god of creation and crafts, uh, and, and of the whole dwarven race as a whole. The dwarven mythos is that Morden did create uh, the dwarves. Uh, it's a little bit different than some of the other mythoses where they either existed or were accidentally created. Uh, things like that. Um, they have, it, it's a little bit smaller. And by a little bit, I mean like one fourth the size of the elven pantheon, just in number of deities. There's not quite as many. Um, they seem to be a little bit more um, sort of com compressed. So obviously with any place that's going to be worshiping the dwarven pantheon, you're going to have at least one temple to Moradin. So I do think it'd be very good in our town of, uh, you know, Carmel to have at least one temple to Moradin. So we're going to have a temple there, right? And this temple, I'm kind of envisioning envisioning it as um, a very, it's very bold. The stonework is very, is very strong. There's a lot of stone statues to it, maybe a grayer stone. Um, and in It's that, been around for a while. It's been around for a while. Now. It's probably more in the center of the city and it's probably near or has been, uh, the guild itself has put its headquarters there, but our craftsman guild is probably near it. They probably put their headquarters there because he is the god of crafts. He is who they would be praying to when they make their various, um, you know, crafts, items, hammers, things like that. Another one that might be good because I know we talked um, itself about um, 
not only uh, the cra the craftsman itself, but uh, you know, farming, the home, things like that would be um, Buranar. Uh, they are the goddess of hearth, home, um, married or the consort to Moradin himself. I like it. Um, in the dwarven pantheon, so you would and kind of the matriarch of the dwarven pantheon. So you would probably see there would at least be a temple probably near. Um, that would have that, that would be a little bit more of the, um, you know, sort of that sort of uh, mythos with it. And then there, there are probably maybe one or two others in there. And given that we are in a situation where there are, if you remember from last time, no real threatening neighbors, right? We're just kind of out in the home. I'm not really going to have a battle or God like uh, Clagdian Silverbeard or something like that. Something where, that's but... where it's like that. You might be like, okay, uh, what about nature, right? Because of the farming community, again, kind of helping with uh, Boronoir's sort of realm. You'd probably do uh, Thardhar. He's a, a, a deity that deals with nature. He's kind of been a deity that's kind of been lost um, after the Sundering, but we don't need to, you know, really get into. We'll that. talk about Sundering in yeah, a get, get next episode. That, no time. too much. Yeah. Um, and then maybe one other one uh, that might be in there. Uh, because dwarves in D&D are typically known to be craftsmen and uh, inventors of sorts, would be the god of uh, Durmargan Brightmantle. He's the god of scholarship, discovery, and invention. So this is all very idealistic dwarven things where you're like, well, maybe not so much in the literature sense as elven pantheon sort of discovery, but in the we craft, we build, we innovate. That is kind of like the dwarven mentality I love that's it. presented. Yeah. So I would say definitely Bournoir, Moradin, um, uh, Dumargarin, Brightmantle, Thardhar would probably have a temple. And then the only other one, and I think would be maybe more of a secret worship related to our Merchants Guild, would be uh, Vergadane. Vergadane is the name. He's the god of trade, wealth, negotiation, luck, trickery, and chance. Oh, that is definitely got so, yeah, merchants written all over easy, it. Yeah. Very easy to see how that god, secret word, may, you know, maybe not secret is as in it's like faux pas, but secret as in it's not a temple that's there. But you can easily see how, wait, the merchant's guild, you mentioned chance. You know what I almost envision? Having uh, the, his symbol tattooed on, uh, kind of engraved onto a coin. And you see, and that's exactly where up. I was yeah. going to go with it because yeah. what I was saying is right before you had that beautiful thought where we're on the same page as always. Slightly terrifies me. You can me. easily see how a merchant might invest in a casino and have the symbol of Vergadane on the chips. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. He is the god of chance and you are literally flipping a coin. You know, just to give a quick shout out here to your partner, Sam. You brought this evil upon the world. I hope you are happy with yourself today. Okay. <laughs> She's going to kill me next time. Yeah, yeah she me. is going to kill you. <laughs> yeah, <time>. that's fine. <laughs> but as we've discussed in this episode, death comes for us all. Death, <laughs> it does It does eventually find all of us, whether whether you are a piton within the great machine or the Colossus himself. I like how you... Oh God, I hate you. Yeah. <laughs> no. But so we've, we've focused around some of those aspects. Now. We've right. established the church mm -hmm. and how we kind of want... Expand a little bit more. Again, we've established basically a dwarven society here right. with mixes of other races, races right? right? The humans, the gnomes. Right. So there might be some minor, I wouldn't call them temples, but maybe areas of worship that like other minor deities Agreed. that like people might have, or they might have them in their home. I am envisioning because the society has 
other races and no real neighbors, that it's a fairly open worship society. Correct. I don't um, think that I don't think the kingdom here, from what we've at least established within the lore here of, of this world creation, is that they don't have like, you know, uh, these are the these are taboo right. uh, uh, religions, and these are the ones that we specifically will allow. Right. Right. Exactly. It's not. It's not like the fallen and then the prime deities. Right. Or exactly. Like that, and quote, I think that also role. goes to. I'm going to touch a little bit of lore here. Um, Moradin himself has a ton of allies. Um, Moradin is friends with uh, Corleone, the leader of the Elven Pantheon. He's free with, um, oh, I can't remember what the leader, leader of the Gnomish, but he's friends with the Gnomish Pantheon. He's friends with like, the Halfling Pantheon. <laughs> Those four uh, pantheons kind of interact a lot and are friends. And they all have a similar, not necessarily distrust, but a worry about human expansion because humans have kind of burst onto the scene and been like, we only live for a short time, but we do a lot in our 100 years. And a lot of damage while we're at a it. A lot of damage. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> so I do think that they would be fairly open to any of those deities. There might be maybe some, not distrust, but maybe a little bit of like disdain for worshiping a human related deity, but I don't think it'd be outright banned. No, right. I don't think so either. So no. we've got now those deities and the way that those temples or maybe um, religious organizations might play into it. Obviously, Moradin, god of craft, very easy to see. Um, Vergadane, the god of trade, wealth, chance, obviously, very easy to see. Bernoir, the goddess of hearth and home, along with Thadar of you know nature and hunting and survival. The farmers. You can see how we are making our selections of temples based on the very real needs, wants, desires of the general populace. So we're dealing with our farming. We're dealing with our crafting. We're dealing with our trade. One that might, the um, that the sort of loyalists, the Snickers faction might be, would be um, Gorm Gulithin. He is the god of vigilance, defense, and protection. Very easy to see how they might have some sort of symbol on a chest plate, maybe engraved into the hilt of a sword. So you can see how now all of that now informs more of how those factions interact, right? Because now they're like, okay, there's another unifying aspect in that they all worship some sort of part of the Mordensmanen, but at the same time, different parts different interests are still going to be different competing. cogs of the wheel. It Absolutely. Going to be competing, right? Yeah. And so now we've got the temples, the religion kind of figured out within Carmel and you can have some minor idols or something kind of very Skyrim-y along the pathway between Carmel, Chocolat, Carmel, Vanilla. Like you can have some like little stopways for them to worship, you know, Morden or any of these other deities that we've mentioned. Right. Um, it would be very easy as a plot hook, have um, one of Bornoir's clerics go out to Vanilla to bless the fields, cast whatever that spell is that yields more crop. Oh, uh, hang on, a plant growth. Plant growth. Yeah. Um, where it, uh, if, you cast it, if you cast it multiple times within, uh, I think, I believe an eight hour time span, it'll actually increase it up to a, uh, a mile. Mm -hmm. Not just eight, so it's, see, I believe it's 300 feet. It so will you can make easily things, see yeah. how like, there would either be a financial incentive for yep. that religious organization to do it for free, right? Or if you want to say that the merchant guilds have a, have accrued such a power that they have influence over those credits, uh, those clerics, and those clerics are kind of cutting them a deal, taking advantage of the lower, right? And starting yeah. to suck the land dry of wealth, very easy plot hook, again, 
to show like, hey, not only can they be bad, they can be good. And it goes the same thing with the craftsman. It goes the same thing with anything else. Anything else in too much can obviously create issues within your world. We've we've crafted something here that's actually very good. It's very economical based, but the the economy of this world at this point has become a big uh I would almost say an issue. What what is the underlining issue here that's mm-hmm. currently going on, right? So yes, we have the, uh, we have the, the blacksmithing. I feel like the issue that we have done very well at this point is the crafting of I would almost say as I like to call the heads butting, mm-hmm. right? I would say it's almost a more I'm not saying you're going to have a straight political campaign, mm-hmm. but there's definitely going to be a point where a lot of political intrigue to start. Absolutely. And I think absolutely. that is in a realm because we rolled for it. We let the dice decide that there's no neighbors, right? So there's no external threats, right? There is a very real possibility that there's just so much wealth to go around, it's created greedy factions. Absolutely. And that in and of itself can create, you hired mercenaries, you made deal with outside realms, you made a pact with a devil, you did this, that, and the other that's created issues. So I think that, is a great spot to end this segment of world creation next time. I'm going to hold myself to it. We're going to give you some places of interest. Oh, yeah. Um, around, we we start, need to start crafting it around Caramel. I would say just around the entire region around as a the whole entire, right now. Around the entire region. Get a vague placement for where our capital of Alamand is. And then after that, I think our world creation segment will be more of like general... Um, tips, tricks, plot hooks, things like that. And then it will essentially be down to us to finalize it and make it ready for you guys to play in it. And again, we're going to use the incarnate-based world creation system. Highly recommend you guys go check out their webpage there. But webpage, how old am I? Jesus. But <laughs> definitely go check out their website there. It's fantastic because it does help you create and like almost... I would. It is one of the biggest DM tools that I tend to use consistently to this time to help me flush out a world. On that note, before we jump to final thoughts, Austin, do you know what we did not do yet? Hmm. Time for a dice battle. Dice battle. Dice battle. Where is your dice? Grab that bad boy. Ready? Let's Three, see what you two, got. What? I rolled a twelve. I rolled a. I excuse me. I rolled a natural three. And. Peace and balance in the weave has been restored as we are now tied. Boo. Four to four. No, tis not what the fates intervened. The you fates rigged decided. the system. The fates decided. The fates are a liar. Hey, look, more. Austin, what's your favorite magical item to give your players? Mm. Oh, wow. Look at that deep thought he's Probably in. Probably the, um, what's it's like the, ju- the decanter of endless water. I've given that out in multiple campaigns. That's a good one. And the reason is that players always forget to do survival checks to get fresh water so mm-hmm. obviously it solves that issue i don't like to deal with it i don't like to punish the players for it but it solves that issue especially on a dive through the underdark super useful also if you're fighting a vampire you got running water and that does a lot of damage oh, and keeps them from regenerating oh yeah oh so. yeah uh bag of holding yeah i'm I, always yeah. i'm sorry it it is it has to be uh, and i don't go. even so I, when I was first crafting it in my world uh, setting, especially this was the, one of the biggest, this was my first campaign that I was running. And again, it's still going on. But I uh, I had two ways in which they can get it. I gave it to them for free. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's such a common and used item. Right. I mean, when you think like, oh my God, any video game that you play, what's like the biggest thing that sometimes people make fun of? Storage. Audio, 
Yeah. How do you make? How do you do that with storage? And there's no way that you're walking around with three great swords on your back. It doesn't and make so sense, for, right? And for all the players who don't know, one, the decanter of endless water lets you either like it's like a dribble, a flow, and like a geyser or something like that. So you yeah. can look it up on D and D Beyond or Roll Twenty or really any of the websites will pull it up. It gives you all of the explanation, but it lets you essentially have some <laughs> uh, both social and combat uses. The bag of holding is an extra dimensional space that can hold up to 500 pounds of stuff. Highly recommend you put two bags of holding inside of one. Don't of. do that. No, please do it. Do not do that. It would make it so funny. Do not do that. You I need to sent my life. into a random part of the astral sea. Which oh, is yeah. Oh, and it'll blow up. It's basically a black hole. It's bad. It sucks everything in. <laughs> it's but a, black, uh, a bag of holding, basically just with the thought of withdrawing an item you put in, you can pull it out. Correct. And so it really does solve like the storage, especially because gold coins weigh a lot when you start getting a lot of them if you're going to include so, encumbrance in your world right, right? Exactly. so again this really depends if you, if weight is a factor in your world yes back holding resolves that if issue. you're going to do a little more video gamey where you're not really counting the weight no nope. then you can that but i do give almost every campaign i give somebody a bag of holding i'm like just put stuff in there i'm not, I'm not dealing with it yeah that's exactly how i felt i'm just like i don't care Here, here's a bag of holding i don't care you guys get it for free but what? I'll let you do it. You're, you've been so good at it the yeah, last few but episodes. With that, I think that is a great place for us to end this episode of Dungeons & Brews. I want to thank everyone for listening in again. Thank you for all the outpouring of support. And until next time. Part of the pod, part of the brew.